the purpose that we have come here today is to adore Christ the Lord. And uh, hopefully uh, the Lord was honored in our singing to Him, both uh, as a congregation and, and as the others who sang for us. Let me invite you to turn in uh, the Bible in front of you to page 184 in the second part of that Bible in the, the pew in front of you. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina left a devastating mark on the coast of Louisiana and uh, the south there. And I don't know if you were like me, but in the aftermath of Katrina, I felt like screaming at the TV because of all the people who were uh, left behind, who had, had failed to listen to the warnings that they had been given. And they were sitting on the tops of their houses needing to be rescued. Of the millions who live in that area, 1,836 people died in that catastrophe. And I'm sure there were several unavoidable deaths. Some uh, people couldn't get out of the city. But I wonder how many people actually heard the warnings multiple times but still ignored them. People who study these things say that there are at least two reasons why people ignore these types of warnings. The first is they, they adopt the boy who cried wolf mentality. They've watched the Weather Channel before and they've heard even the evacuation warnings and turned out to be nothing very much. No major floods, uh, no damage. And so it amounts to nothing. When the Weather Channel does that over and over and over again, it becomes mundane and, and it doesn't seem... Uh, reliable, and so they ignored the warning. Second reason that people who study these things say that they they ignore the warnings is because they think they can ride out the waves. They have the mentality that I'm prepared. The risk that's coming is not that great, or I have time to take care of myself once the storm comes. The I'm okay mentality. And in a similar way, I think one of the reasons we don't take God's warnings of judgment very seriously is because we don't take Him at His word. We think everything has always existed the way that it is now, that He hasn't judged me yet, so why would He do it in the future? And perhaps we adopt the other mentality, which is, I'm okay. I, the risk is not as great as it sounds. And when I get to that point, when the judgment actually comes, then I'll be able to prepare myself accordingly. And I'm convinced that we don't really understand how awful our sin is before the holy God of the universe. That God hates sin. And I'm convinced that we don't understand that very clearly. People, by the way, have been ignoring the warnings of God from the very beginning. Adam and Eve received a warning not to eat of a certain type of fruit, and yet they ignored the warning of God. They thought, we can do this. We can be like God if we eat this fruit. And of course, you know that they both did. Even people in Noah's day had several years to hear about the warnings of the flood coming, and yet they failed to, to follow those warnings. They failed to prepare themselves for the coming judgment. And of course, there were warnings throughout history of mankind. So I'm going to show us that we have a warning that's significant for us and we need to take it seriously and make sure that we're ready for when this, uh, this judgment does come. 
Second Peter there in the Bible in front of you, chapter three. I'll begin reading in verse four. Mockers will say that's that's the idea of who's talking here, and they will be saying, "Where is the promise of His God's coming?" For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. What I'd like to show you from this passage tonight is that God is serious about sin and his judgment is real. But the good news is that He has provided for you and for me a means of escape, a way to get out of this judgment. Okay, The first thing that we need to see is that God is serious about sin. God is serious about sin. We know this because Peter tells us here in these verses that I just read that these mockers will come and say, it's okay. The world has always existed as it has. In other words, the way that it is now, that's the way it's always been. And what Peter says in verse 5, look at verse 5 again, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that, and then he talks about the creation of the world, then verse 6, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. Here's what Peter's saying. What escapes the mocker's notice is that the world has not always existed the way that it is. The world was created, created good by a holy and good God. But then it was destroyed by water through the flood. What escapes their notice is that God has already judged the earth once. And what that tells us, the reason that God did that was because God is serious about sin. God is serious about sin. I mean, that's the only way that we can explain how this flood took place. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 7. Verse 21, verses 21 to 23. This, this is talking about what happened after the flood. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land and, in, and whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, they all died. Thus, God blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. Why does God judge a world that He created? The reason He does is because sin has entered into the world since the creation. You recognize that at the creation there was no sin. There was no sin until Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God, by defying Him, by saying, no, I will not obey you. I will eat of the fruit that you told me not to. And since that time, sin has plagued the human race. And it got to the point in Genesis chapter 6 where God decided to destroy the earth by water. And so what Peter's telling us here is that the mockers don't understand that there was a flood. Or at least they don't believe that there was a flood. And the flood is proof that God is serious about sin. It also proves that God's judgment is real. Not just His past judgment in the flood, but His future judgment. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 of the text. It says, But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. 
kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. Peter moves on to talking about the fact that there was real judgment through the flood to moving to talk about the coming judgment that will come on all mankind. Come on, on, on those who oppose God. You see, God is serious about sin and He will judge the earth much like He judged it in the flood by destroying those who oppose Him. Do you know who was saved from that flood, by the way? Who was protected from that flood? It was those who believed in God. It was Noah and his family. There were no righteous people on the earth other than they. And I believe that's the same way that we are able to be saved from the future judgment that will come on the earth. The first time God wiped out the earth with water, He will not do it in that way again, but He will wipe it out again. Verse 7 says that it will be by fire. Now, how could God do this? I mean, what kind of God is this that would destroy the earth by water once and then by fire a second time? I mean, how could God bring judgment on people whom He created? And the answer goes back to our first point, and that is because God hates sin. God hates sin. I think the, one of the main reasons that we don't shudder before God, we're, we're not fearful before God as we should, is because we have a low view of God and a low view of sin. We, we think we can, God can just sweep our sin under the rug and don't worry about it. It's okay. Come, come here. I, I, will, I will take care of that. And perhaps we have a high view of ourselves. We think that we're okay. We think that, that our good works will make us acceptable before God. But do you realize how wicked your sin is before God and, and, and my sin as well? Do we realize how wicked our sin is before God? Think about it this way. From the beginning of the creation, God commanded and the, the, objects, or the objects of the universe obeyed. God said, let there be light. And what did the light do? It obeyed. God said, let the waters be separated. You go there and you go there. And, and it was so. Genesis tells us. He said, let the sun rule the day and the moon rule the night and the stars. And, that, and they obeyed. And He said, let the sea creatures appear. And they obeyed. He said, let the animals appear. And they obeyed. And then He told Adam to name all the animals. And Adam obeyed. And God saw all that He made and it was very good. So every time God said for something to be done, the creation obeyed. They said, yes. Because you are the God of all gods. You are the God of the universe. And so we will gladly obey you. But then God told man and woman not to eat of a certain tree. And what did they say? No. We will eat of that tree. All of creation had obeyed from the beginning of time until Adam and Eve broke that change and defied God. And look at the consequence of their sin. God did not say, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I understand. You're human. No. He caused all of mankind, including you and me, to fall into sin. The condemnation that comes from sin is an eternal hell. And that was partially a result of Adam's sin. His initial sin. So God is serious about sin. 
You see how much God hates sin? Why do you think that God would overlook your sin if He didn't overlook Adam and Eve's sin? Your sin is just as much a defiance against God and my sin is just as much a defiance against God as Adam and Eve's. You see, God can't overlook sin. He cannot overlook it. He takes it very seriously. The only way He can overlook it is if it has been paid for. When you're sinning against God, you're not sinning against a magistrate of a small town. You're not sinning against a police officer. How fearful would you be if you sinned against a person of authority? You would be fearful, right? A coworker of mine uh, told me about a time when he was riding his motorcycle up I-75. He was on his way to Houghton Lake uh, for a weekend, and uh, the roads were pretty clear of cars and hazards. And he was an experienced rider, so he decided that he would open up the throttle. He passed the cop at 120 miles per hour. And immediately he knew he was in big trouble. The police officer immediately turned on his lights and began to chase him. What was he going to do? He had to make a decision. Was he going to pull over? He knew if he pulled over, what would happen to him? He'd be in jail for sure, right? So he decided he, he was already well past the police officer going 120 miles per hour. So he pulled off at the next exit, which was a couple miles down the road. And he pulled into a, uh, a subdivision and ended up going down a street with a dead end. And so he took his bike and he backed it into a ditch that was just high enough to hide his bike and himself. And he hung out there until the police officer passed by. It's about 10 minutes later when the police officer did finally pass the street trying to search for this, this uh, person who had been speeding. I mean, the tension was so high. He knew that if he would be caught, he would be in big trouble. He waited for a long period of time, not sure exactly how long, but he's peeking over the ditch to see what was going on. He finally got up and drove off and got back on the expressway and uh, you can imagine this time he was going to speed limit. He made it up to his destination and, uh, and never got caught. And as you listen to that story, which is true, you, you feel the tension that there is because you realize that he was running from a person of authority. And if he had been caught, he would have been in big trouble. He would have had to uh, receive and, and, uh, and carry out the consequences of his sin against this man of authority. We recognize this. We recognize that people of authority have great power and that there are consequences to disobeying the laws that are given us, right? You see, we are even fearful of a police officer because he has authority, because we have sinned and we deserve his punishment when we disobey the laws. Now suppose President Obama was holding a rally in downtown Royal Oak. And you went to that rally and you saw him coming and when he came close to you, you punched him in the gut and spit in his face. How much trouble would you be in? Hey, this isn't, this isn't a sin against a local police officer who could do some damage to you. He could, he could cause you to, to receive some consequences. But if you did that to the President of the United States, you would be, be in much more trouble, wouldn't you? But when it comes to your sin, 
you haven't sinned against a police officer, you haven't sinned against a local magistrate, you haven't sinned against the mayor of a large city or the governor of a state or the president of the United States or even Satan himself. You have sinned against the God of the universe. And your sin demands punishment. You see, God is unlike all of those leaders that I just mentioned. God is completely holy and He hates sin. Why would you ever think that He would ignore your sin? He didn't ignore the sin of the people in Noah's day, did He? He didn't just sweep it under the rug and say, it's not a big deal, I understand. God is serious about sin and judgment is real. And so we have a problem, don't we? We've sinned against God. But there's good news in this passage as well. And that's found in verses 9 and 10. And that is that God has provided a means of escape. Look at verse 9 with me. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Okay, Again, in verse 10, you see that there is judgment coming. It is real. But the, the good news is found in verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. So we could ask the question, God, if you are so serious about sin, why have you allowed sin to continue for all of these years? And the answer comes here. It's not that God is slow about His promise, that He's never going to judge those who oppose Him. But the reason here is found in verse 9. Look again at the second part. But is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Why has God delayed His judgment? He's delayed His judgment so that you and I would have an opportunity to repent. You see, He doesn't want you to perish. That's what it says in verse 9. He is not wishing that anyone would receive that judgment, but that all would come to repentance. God is slow in His judgment. This is even true in the ark with regard to the flood. It wasn't as if God said, I see your sin and now the next day you're going to be destroyed. He could have done that. He had every right to do that. But you know how long it took between the time that God told Noah that there would be judgment and the time that God actually brought the judgment? 120 years. Now why would God wait that long? Well, we could say, well, maybe it gives time for Noah to build the ark. That could be part of it. But I think the main reason is because God is not slow about His promise. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wanted all those people to come to repentance. But the problem with us is we love our sin. We love to oppose God. We don't want to fall under His submission. We don't want to obey Him. And so even if God gives a long period of time, many people still will not repent, will not turn from their sin. So how do we accept this gift of grace? How do we, how do we avoid this judgment that is real? Well, the answer is found in the middle of verse 9. But is patient, I'm sorry, at the end, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So here's the options here. 
Continue in your sin and you will perish. You will be judged. You will be judged by God. The other option is to repent. To repent means to turn from your sins. To believe that Jesus Christ is enough. That He paid for your sin. You see, there's no amount of good works that will make up for your sin. If my coworker were caught because he was speeding and he went before the judge and he said, but judge, you don't understand all the humanitarian things that I do. You don't understand how good of a family I have. You don't understand all the times that I've, I've helped out my neighbor and, and, and helped with, with his uh, maintenance problems at his house. What would the judge say? It doesn't matter. I don't care how many good things you did. What I care about is your sin, what you've done against the state, what you've done against me. And that is why you're being judged. You see, the same thing is true for God. We can't come before God and say, but God, I've gone to church all these years and and I've given to the poor and I've done all these great things. I've raised my kids in a good way. And God will say, but what about your sin? How is your sin going to be taken care care of? It has to be paid for in some way. See, James 2.10 says, Whoever will keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. We've all sinned. And the only way that we can come to God and be reconciled to Him, to, be, to, to have His wrath satisfied against us, is to repent and believe. It's not by works of righteousness, Titus 3.5 says, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of the new birth. You see, God doesn't save you on the basis of what you do. He doesn't take a scale and say, all right, let's pile up all the good things that you've done and we'll weigh them against all the bad things and let's see which one weighs more. It's just like my coworker. If you've done something that's against the law, you're going to have to be judged. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. God doesn't judge you, or God doesn't accept you on the basis of what you've done. He accepts you on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. You see, God requires perfection. That's what James 2 is telling us. If you stumble in one point, you're guilty of all. But Jesus didn't stumble in one point. And so He wasn't guilty of all. He was, he was justified. He was, he was made righteous or seen as righteous before God. And so the only person who could live a perfect life that God requires is Jesus Christ. And the only person that could die as a perfect sacrifice, sacrifice is Jesus Christ as well. And do you know why He died? Do you know why He came to this earth? Do you know why we celebrate Christmas? So that he, he, he would come to earth so that He could die for your sins, to take your place. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ provides you an opportunity to have your sin wiped clean, to have your sin taken from you, And the only way that happens is through Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14 to His disciples. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. The only way that you can come to God is through Me, Jesus said. So that means that you must believe that you cannot save yourself that God has to do the impossible in you. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough good things to be accepted before God. You can't satisfy God's wrath, but Jesus Christ can. 
And the reason that you haven't been destroyed yet is because God is being patient with you, giving you an opportunity to hear His message, to hear His truth, and to respond to it. See, Satan wants you to believe that your sin doesn't matter to God, that that God's not that concerned about your sin. And he wants you to believe, Satan wants you to believe, that you have plenty of time to repent. Like these mockers were saying, all things have continued as they were. So we don't have to fear coming judgment. That's what Satan wants you to believe. But don't buy into that lie. God is patient but and God is merciful, but His patience will not last forever. His judgment will come one day. And it will come on those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as a sacrifice, as an atonement for their sins. And when it comes to judgment time, just like those people who are sitting on top of their houses while the the flood waters are rising, it will be too late. It will be too late to be rescued. Because at judgment time, that will be the time in which God carries out His act of judgment, not a time in which we have to decide again. You know, now that I've looked at all the evidence, God, and I see that You're real, now I'm going to decide. No, God gives you an opportunity while you're here on the earth. And so now is the time to decide. You understand what your sins mean before the Holy God? That God is serious about your sin and serious about my sin and that He demands judgment? There's only two ways that your sins can be paid for. Either you can pay for them in an eternity called hell or you can have Christ pay for them on the cross. And the way that you do that is by turning from your sins and believing that He is enough. This is God speaking to you today from His holy Word. Will you listen to Him? Perhaps you're waiting for some great miracle for God to reveal Himself in some way, to have a vision of God Himself. But I'm here to tell you that the way that God speaks to people is through His written Word. Don't expect some dramatic fashion in which God will come to you. God has already given us a dramatic way in which He speaks to us, and that is through His Word. What would you think of a man who ignored the flood warnings and ended up on the top of his house and the first rescuer came by with a boat and said, hop on in, I'm here to rescue you. And the man on top of the house said, no, no, no. I'm not going to go with you. I'm waiting for God to save me. I'm waiting for God to do something spectacular. And the second rescuer comes by in a helicopter and lowers down the rope and says, climb on up, we're here to save you. And he says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me in a spectacular way. Finally, the man dies. When he stands before God, he says, where were you, God? Why didn't you rescue me? And God would say to him, I believe, I sent you two means of escape. What more did you want? What would you think of this man? We would think, you fool. God sent you a boat and a helicopter. What are you looking for? And I'm here to tell you that God's not going to rescue you in a dramatic way. He's not going to give you a vision on top of a mountain or something like that. Here is His means of escape for you. He has given you a means of escape by allowing you to be here tonight and to hear this message from His Word. This is God speaking to you through His Word. God has been patient with you. 
And He sent you a means of escape. Don't turn Him down again. You see, God doesn't want you to perish. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Will you submit yourself to God today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? This decision is the most important decision you will ever make. And this is something that you don't that you can do right there in your seat or you can do it in the quiet of your own home as you think about these things. And I would encourage you to do that. But if you need to understand this more fully, please talk to one of me, uh, one of the members or or myself after this service or sometime during this week. This is too important a decision to put off. God hates sin. His judgment is real. And He has provided a means of escape. And He wants you to be rescued from that judgment. Our Father in Heaven, we're thankful for the time in which we could reflect on the birth of Jesus Christ our Savior. And we're thankful that through Your Word we can see why He came. That He came to die. He came to live a perfect life for us. We, we can't live that perfect life. We can't die that perfect death. We, we can't atone for our own sins. We need someone who is perfect to stand in our place. And that's why we love Jesus Christ so much. Because He came to take our place. He was treated like a sinner so that we could be treated like Your child. And we're thankful for Your grace and salvation. We're thankful for Your clear Word that shows us that judgment is coming. And that there's time to repent, but there may not be much time. We pray that You would help those here who do not know Jesus Christ to see the weight of this decision. Recognize that this is no small thing. Recognize that You are the God of the universe and that You demand that sin be paid for. We're thankful that it has been paid for through Jesus Christ. May they accept that and believe. Help us now as we uh, we have refreshments together. We pray that You would be honored in our conversations with each other. We're thankful for providing this food for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the back of your handout,